Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the HVMN podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. Lat Mansour, a PhD in physiology, anatomy, and genetics, and the research lead of health via modern nutrition. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave a review. And if you have any question, leave us a comment. And as always, we appreciate it if you can share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, Let's get into this episode of HVMM Podcast. Hi, this is Dr. Lat Mansour, your host on Health via Modern Nutrition Podcast. In this episode, we had Lisa Tamati joining us. Lisa is an extreme ultra endurance athlete with 25 years of experience running and competing in the world's toughest endurance events. She is also a health optimization coach who focuses on human potential, mental toughness, and resilience. She is the author of three best-selling books, Running Hot, Running to Extremes, and her latest book is Relentless, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds, a book telling a one-in-a-million comeback story of bringing her mother, Isabel, back from the brink of death after going through aneurysms, stroke, multiple concussions, and brain tumors. In this episode, Lisa shared her story insights and learnings from her life experiences, as well as the story of her mother's recovery from a series of brain health complications. So please go ahead, enjoy and stay tuned. Today we have Lisa Tamati on the HVMM podcast. I know you've been on our podcast before with Jeff in 2020 and it was a very touching uh, podcast. I've listened to it Um, and thank you for coming on again. And I was just recently, uh, last week actually recorded with Lisa on her podcast, just going in all everything science on ketones so hopefully that was helpful to your audience Amazing. um, yeah and um, I'm interested to learn more about your story uh, this time around fantastic I'm just so privileged to be on your amazing show and uh, yeah I I just loved having you on my my podcast because it was just so fascinating and I've had a lot of fantastic feedback I actually brought it up a few episodes so that I could release it quickly and get it out there because it was such a good episode. So thank you very much. It was awesome. No, thank you. <laughs> Pleasure is mine. So for, for the sake of our listeners, all this, all, you know, all um, listeners who have been around and new listeners, uh, please share with us, like, what's your background? What's your story? And I know you are halfway around the world in New Zealand. Um, yeah. Please do share your story. Yeah, yeah. I'm in New Zealand. Um, uh, it's summer over here, guys. So I live a couple of minutes from the beach. So it's beautiful over here. Um, I've got a background as, a, as an ultra endurance athlete. So doing extreme, extreme long distances and, and expeditions as well as races. Uh, and I've spent sort of 25 years doing crazy stuff really <laughs> um you know done over seventy thousand kilometers and training in events uh ran over 2000 k's in the sahara and you know moroccan the arabian libyan deserts gobi jordan uh niger uh death valley in the usa is a famous race over there that you have through death valley which is uh, done a couple of times uh ran right through new zealand for charity at one point uh did stuff in the himalayas outback of australia so i had i had lots and lots of adventures um that i like to, to share with people sort of the learnings from those experiences um but i think the funny thing is that i never had any talent as a runner i was just very bloody minded you know and um, one of the reasons why i went super long was because I wasn't super fast, right? <laughs> um, and I was an asthmatic as a kid, so um, it sort of been in and out of hospital as a youngster, very small lung capacity, very poor VO2 max, so really illogical to uh, end up being a professional runner, <laughs> if you like. But it was a very slow, long-distance runner. <laughs> wow. I mean, you've, you've overcome all of that and, um, you know, very interested to hear First of all, like, how did you overcome all of those cards stacked against you? Um, and, and what sort of training did you have to go through in order to really prep yourself for such long distance running? Because from the sound of it, it's like if, if, if tomorrow is the end of days and we do not have any more cars and stuff, we can count on you to, you know, <laughs> to cover long distance. Um, so so what, what did you do to overcome those genetics shortcomings and yeah, you know, it, lung it, capacity and all that. Well, the, the cool thing about ultramarathoning is that it's about really more about mindset than anything else. And in, in that department, yeah, I was, you know, quite good, like <laughs> a lot of determination, bloody mindedness. <laughs> um, 
I had in, in my early adult years uh, a very uh, difficult relationship with a with a guy who was a very extreme, amazing athlete, but it was a very abusive relationship. I'll just call it what it was. Um, and he, he, but the good thing about it was that he we we got to travel the world. We cycled everywhere. We climbed mountains. We trekked. We did all that good amazing sort of stuff and it was a bit like being in boot camp for five years you know with with a sergeant major who was really nasty sometimes and um but he would push me to my absolute limits and so I went way beyond what I thought I could do and you know I was in love with this guy so uh, he looked like Brad Pitt you know so it was he got away with that may help help it may (laughs) that may have helped Exactly. And I was young and stupid. Um, and, and so I, I, I pushed myself really hard. I wanted to please him. I wanted to, you know, impress him and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't. Um, he, he was a very hard man to, to please. But what it did is it opened up a world to me of that I am actually capable of, of so much more than what I thought I was capable of. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, the relationship after five years, we were actually crossing the Libyan desert when that relationship uh, blew up, so to speak. We were doing an expedition and we were in a military barred zone. We were crossing the Libyan desert, the most beautiful place, like really incredible desert on the border between Egypt and, and Libya. So we had to sort of disappear into the desert away from the military. And this is a long time ago. This is back in, you know, 1997. Um, we had... Uh, 250 kilometers that we had to walk. We only had uh, uh, 20 liters of water a day uh, in total, sorry, 20 liters of water. So we had no places to get water en route. And if you do the math, it doesn't really add up. So that's like we had enough for two liters a day. Um, And we we didn't know whether we're going to get through in about seven to 10 days. So we had to sort of bargain for 10 really extreme, on the limit, crazy. I look back now and thinking, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> um, and we had to carry this all. So we had uh, 35 kilo, I had 35 kilo backpack on. The guys had even a little bit more than that. that I don't know what that is in pounds, but it's a lot. Uh, it was about two thirds of my, my whole body weight, right? Um, and so trying to cover a distance in 40 degree odd heat of 45 kilometer sort of distance, which is like 27, 28 miles a day um, through really difficult terrain. And then you have a blow up with your boyfriend in the middle of it. And um, he left me no. <laughs> on day four. You have, to, you have to read my first book for that story. Uh, day four, he decided the relationship's over and he's leaving me, left me with the other two guys that were on the expedition and uh, disappeared over the sand dunes. And I laugh about it now, but it was a really dramatic situation. We didn't know we were going to survive. We were way extreme dehydration and that expedition really pushed me to the absolute limits and my whole world sort of fell apart, you know, my relationship and everything was falling apart. And in that moment of, of him leaving, and I didn't know whether he was going to survive or we were going to survive at that point, um, I decided that I had to be able to compartmentalize my emotional falling apart from the actual job that I had to do to survive. And so that was really, a, a, you know, a, a big lesson to learn is to be able to function when everything's turning to crap, so to speak, and still be able to carry on. And, you know, obviously I did survive. It uh, had some major health issues afterwards. I had um, problems with my kidneys and, and, and um, nerves in the upper body. And oh, it took me two years to really fully recover from that physically. Emotionally, it took me a lot, lot longer to, to recover. But what it did is it sort of, it was, it was a baptism of fire. So I went through this in t- intense, terrible experience um, and, and five years of difficult life with him that had destroyed my uh, self-confidence. I had no self-confidence. And after I recovered and, and, and physically, I heard about a race in Morocco called the Marathon de Sables, which is a really famous ultramarathon. And it was touted as the toughest event on earth at that point. And I was reading this and I'm going 240 kilometers across the Sahara. You, you get nine liters of water a day. You've got doctors on hand. You've got 700 runners. And I'm like going, hmm, I reckon I could do this because I'd never run any. I hadn't even done a marathon or anything. 
But I had this experience in the Libyan desert where it was same distance, but we had three and a half times the amount of weight. We had much less water. I had this horrible boyfriend terrorizing me. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, if, so, you can, if you can go through that, I mean, you can go through anything after that. Well, that's exactly what I thought, right? So, so I signed up for this event. I had no idea about anything. I went in, you know, pretty naive, and I did it, and I just loved it. And it was the most amazing, uplifting experience. It was still tough, you know, but it wasn't tough like that other one was tough. Um, and I met all these wonderful, supportive people telling me how great I was doing, and I, you know, I did really well. I sort of, you know, got in the top, top ten, and and I got to the end of that, and I'm like. Oh, this is amazing. And, my, and it had built my self-confidence so much that then I became addicted, of course. And so I started just doing one ultramarathon after the other, bang, bang, bang. From that sort of, Isn't yeah. it oh, oh, ironic that it was that sort of super long-distance race that almost broke you, but it was also the super long-distance race that built you back up? Yep. Let's, let's get back on the horse, right? <laughs> you know, when you fall off. Uh, and and, and it, there was a deep yearning in, in my my soul, I suppose, to prove that I wasn't hopeless. And because I'd been told for years, um, and I'd also grown up with an, a, an amazing dad, but a, a very tough dad who expected a lot. He wanted me to be, you know, the best at my career, the best at sport, the best. So I just, I think I went from one, you know, trying to please my dad to trying to please this other guy. Um, and, you know, so, so definitely some issues going on, shall we say, um, to then stepping into my own power of like, okay, I've been through, you know, the ringer. But these, these races just really gave me more and more confidence and strength. And, and then, I, you know, and I, and I had failures along the way. I had races where I completely bombed and um, those were new lessons to learn. Uh, and when you're doing this sort of stuff, you're, 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 it's really about you against you. It's not. It's not about you against the other runners, really. For me, it wasn't. It was really much about how much, how hard can I push myself, and 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 what can I actually achieve as far as the distances and in in the the you know the crazy places that you get to go to, you know the adventures you get to have. So that was pretty, a pretty amazing life, and and gave me lots of experience for then going into things like business and you know, teaching and health and, you know, all the stuff that I do now. Right, right. Before we go into that, I've got a lot of questions about that as well. And before we go into into further on, uh, you know, let's unpack your experience that you just shared with, uh, with us for a bit. And I want to talk a bit on the healing process that you went through, right? Both physical and emotional, right? And, and you said, you know, it took you about two years to recover physically. Was that just from the stress and from... Um, the 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 pressure of of the race itself, um, or was it something else? Was it yeah. you know, over time? Well, that one you know particularly was very very damaging to the kidneys. Um, so the the dehydration was to the point so that on the on the the the, the, the second to last day it, it came to a point we'd just gone through this massive sandstorm. I hadn't been able to drink my daily ration because like this was a really major sandstorm. We had to get into our sleeping bags and sort of hunker down and I didn't get time to get my, my water out of my backpack. And so that night when I usually drank my ration, I couldn't drink. And so the, the three o'clock in the morning we got up again when, once the storm had abated and, and just went. And I lost my thirst at that time, which is a very bad indicator that things are going south. And then I started to um, have hallucinations and and we were on such a mission that the leader of the expedition, and his name was Elvis, and he was a Yugoslavian, Yugoslavia back then, um, survival expert. And he, he was on such a mission that he didn't let me stop to get my water out. And so we were just going because we had to get through to this point where we knew where we were and that we were going to make it out. Um, and so I didn't drink. And I didn't – when you're in the state, your brain isn't working I mean, you, you've got no glucose and you've got very, not enough water. So your brain is just, it's like, it's like wading through treacle in your brain. You can't make good decisions. You, you, you're not thinking straight. It's like being drunk, basically. Right. Um, yeah, of course. When you're low on substrates, like your yeah. brain and your major 
um, organs that are, you know, that are essential to human function, like your heart, your brain, they will slow down their function to minimize the consumption of substrates because they know that substrates are scarce at the moment. Absolutely. And so that does really weird things to your brain. So hallucinations, you know, like I had the the rocks, like they became monsters and they were chasing me and I was like completely out of it, right? <laughs> um, so, and I've had hallucinations many times in ultramarathons because you're pushing, you've got no glucose left, you know, your, your body's trying to burn fat, but I didn't have ketonesters back then, right? <laughs> I could have really, really done with some ketonesters to keep your brain on track. So you, you're not, it's like when mountaineers go to extreme altitude, and I've done a little bit of altitude, you just you you don't make great decisions because your executive functioning is not is just not on point. So, um, really hard to make judgments about people in those situations too, because you you're really just trying to put one foot in front of the other. You don't know to ask. Like I didn't I didn't I, I didn't put my foot down and say, hey, I have to stop now and get my water out. I was just like completely like like a. a a zombie you know <laughs> um and sort of stumbling forward so uh, i got to the point where where i really was i think not far from no return you know like you can you can and, and elvis actually said to me at the end of that day you know people die with 20 liters of water next to them because they've gone too far and that it's better in your tummy he said than in your backpack you've got to you've got to drink and the other thing i've been doing during that expedition was actually we had two liters of water a day, but I was only drinking a liter and a half because I was so panicked about, you know, not having enough. So that combination after well, that stage, five or six days, um, it, it, yeah, I was I was severely, severely dehydrated, and your tongue is swollen, and you can't. Yeah, it's just, it's just it's awful. It's awful, you know. And then um, you, what what process time. what process did you have to go through for for that sort of to heal? Um, just time really and okay. um, and I did have to go on, on drugs and things for my kidneys and you know even to this day my kidney function isn't fantastic um, and and what what happens when you do ultra marathons is you can, you can get something called rhabdomyolysis which is when the body starts to break down the muscle tissue on mass basically and then you, it, the, 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 the broken down muscle tissue sort of clogs up your, your kidneys and you get rhabdomyolysis which causes kidney damage and um, this can be quite severe so I've had that probably I don't know 50 times in my life um, so my, my kidneys have had a hard hard life <laughs> yeah. but yeah <laughs> so yeah that was a, a pretty extreme one but you know uh, you, you, you come out stronger at the end of the day, but it does take a long time to sort of come through that and come out the other side. And then let's talk about the emotional healing because, you know, obviously that takes much longer and a lot of people don't even acknowledge or realize how severe uh, their emotional damage, the emotional damage that does to their, their worthiness and their self-confidence and all of that. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, myself yes. included. And, yes. you know, we all have struggled in one yeah. way or another on whether it's via how we're being treated or how we're being brought up or how we see ourselves even. Like sometimes we are our worst critique. A critique and and we are our worst enemy where we put ourselves down before anyone else could because we yep. feel that you know if i am i am the harshest to myself then i would have this defense mechanism that i don't i won't be afraid of anyone else putting me down but that is such an unhealthy sort of toxic Absolutely. trait that while temporarily it protects you but over a long time it does put you in a place where you are not happy with yourself yep. and you are having this self-hatred going on. So yep. let's talk about that, that healing process that you did. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to be honest, I think it's still ongoing, you know, like, I mean, we, 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 we download so much in the first, you know, seven, eight years of our life. And, and it's, that's just from an environment that we sort of soak in and becomes our sort of default mode of operating. Right. And we didn't have a say in that. That was our parents. That was our community. That was our culture that we were in. And so we downloaded a whole lot of crap from that often. Um, even with the best, you know, 
parents in the world, there's, there's still stuff. And I think there's also a genetic component. Like I, I was born very a very sensitive kid, you know, like very, like anybody put me down, I was, you know, like devastated type of thing. Like criticism was, was difficult um, and very sensitive. And as I said, I, you know, grew up with this wonderful dad, but he was just, just so strict and so harsh, hard, hard on us and expected and wanted so much for us to do so well. And I was a little girl that really wanted to please my dad, you know, so that, and, and you know, like I, I, I see this as being a blessing now because there's so much value when you, when you put, when you are able to push yourself so beyond because you are wanting to achieve something even if that's a negative motivator, like even if it's because you're scared of somebody or because you're wanting to please somebody else, it's still a great motivator for, for you to achieve greatness. And you may have experienced this in your life, I can imagine, where you're like, the pressure's quite high to be this amazing person. In, you know, like getting doing a PhDs and things like that, what, what you've done and, and the career that you've had, you don't get there without a hell of a lot of drive and a hell of a lot of work and and it's the same same thing in the in the sporting realm or in the business realm you've had to overcome an awful lot so there's many many benefits and the most you know amazing achievements come out of that sort of a thing but as I've got older I've come to realize that I need to be kinder to myself and not it's not all about being a hard ass all the time um it you know um you probably know David Goggins, you know, who's uh, a famous who I've, I've um, met in Death Valley and he's raced over there and, you know, uh, amazing guy. But it, it, he, he does, for me, it's not always about go hard or go home and be the super tough. That message, I think, is great for a young person maybe who needs to harden up a little bit. But um, it can be the opposite that you're too hard on yourself and then you you never actually live because you're always living for the 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 goal that you're going after the target and you can go to the point where you can break yourself and having now studied genetics you know I have a lack of dopamine receptors in my body so I chase dopamine like no tomorrow so that means I'm always on a mission uh, and that means that everything else around that mission is not important. And I've got to be careful with my loved ones sometimes that I don't just go so hard with my mission that everyone else doesn't matter. You know, we're all on my mission, <laughs> um, which can be fantastic because then you achieve incredible things, but sometimes at a huge cost to you, your loved ones and um to your enjoyment in life, if that makes sense. So it, it, it's this fine balance of going hard, but not, not going hard all the time. And, re and, and rest and recovery has become much more important to me so that it's not just about emptying the cup. And, you know, the last, the, the last seven, eight years of my life have been really hell. I've gone through lots of, you know, grief and trauma and, and um, which we can get into later. But I now know that I'm not bulletproof. And now I know that things like hormones and menopause and uh, all of those sorts of things actually change the way you feel in yourself. And so I'm a much more compassionate human being for having gone through a lot of the stuff that I've, that I've gone through. And I, I suppose that's the, the mark of being older and a bit more hopefully wiser and, <laughs> um, uh, and, and still much to learn. I still tend to mission out on everything um, and constantly striving and I've really got to sometimes go uh no I'm going for a walk with my husband down the beach and I'm just gonna sit there and enjoy for half an hour doesn't usually long much last much longer than half an hour but it's <laughs> better than it was right <laughs> do you do any form of like meditation or any form of you know mindfulness practice that that helps you sort of take yourself out of that mindset where we are chasing dopamine or we are like being harsh on ourselves. Yeah, I, I, I try to prioritize something that's going to stimulate my parasympathetic nervous system every day. So I'm, I'm actually searching out things now to calm my system down. And that can be as simple as cuddling my cat or giving mum a hug or going and watching the birds fly in the sky or watching a sunset or something, you know, very trivial like that or very everyday like that 
or, or doing something like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which I'm a big fan of. That takes me into a parasympathetic state fully. After a, a, a hyperbaric treatment, I can <laughs> barely operate. You know, I can't sort of do any cognitive stuff after that because I'm so chill. Um, so there's little tricks that I've learned along the way to try to balance that out. Sauna is another really good one, yoga, meditation. So I, I, I try to build this rhythm now in my day where I have little breaks in between and I don't just go full bore all the time because I know that I've emptied the tank too much in my life and I've got yeah. to put back in. And I think a lot of us could learn from that now is that you have to fill the cup with good stuff if you are the type of person who's pouring out and that means good nutrition that means good sleep that means you know good exercise and not over exercising and all of those sorts of things that go up to making a healthy sustainable longevity focused uh lifestyle it, that's where, where i'm at now in my life you know before it was like uh just you know push and push to the absolute extremes physically all the time and you know I don't know how I got away with it really you know and I did have major issues um from a health perspective and so like you know ultra marathons is not a healthy lifestyle in a lot of ways the training can be healthy but the actual racing certainly isn't um the oxidative stress that comes, the massive amounts of inflammation, the catabolism, the hormones, the, you know, all of these sorts of things that now that I study longevity in the longevity space a lot, I'm like, oh my God, it's a wonder I don't look like I'm 110. No. <laughs> so, so, so the takeaway point here is moderation and be kind to yourself. Yeah, really it is. I mean, after all that hard-assness, I think there are times to go hard in life and then there are times to fill your cup again. And it's trying to work that out. You know, when you're pushing to get that PhD through or you're pushing to get it across the Sahara, then you've got to go hard. You don't have a choice. Yeah, you know what? That is absolutely true because I, I almost gave up doing my PhD in my first year. I, I, you know, it was difficult. It was really hard. And yeah. I think in my second year... Uh, first or second year, I developed Bell's palsy. Half of my face was paralyzed wow. just from inflammation from the stress because they said, you know, Bell's palsy could be caused by virus, but it could also be inflammation where your nerves uh, in between your skull get inflamed and get pinched and therefore, you know, lose the wow. sensation. And and I panicked. Like you look at yourself in the mirror and you yeah. smile and only half your face is smiling. And obviously the first thing they checked for was uh, whether or not I had a stroke. Yep. But they're like, okay, it's not a stroke, Luckily so not. it's it's Bell's palsy. So I had to really have a sit down conversation with my supervisor uh, and say, hey, look, like this current lifestyle is not conducive and not sustainable for me. We need to make a change, or else I'm out of here because I need to prioritize myself and Absolutely. I need to prioritize my health. Uh, and and we did make some changes, and ultimately I got my PhD, and I am where I am today. But it's definitely not an easy path to take, and uh, you're right. It's like they they will be a, a there will be a lot of instances where you need to sprint and you need to push yourself, yeah. and and you need to you know. So, and some people get the dopamine out of it, and some people get the the gratification out of seeing how far you can push yourself and where your limit is. But you also need to understand as we age as well to understand your body better. I mean, you've, I've got what, 37 years to understand my body well and, and some people oh. have longer. So, so that use that time wisely to really understand your body so that you know when to stop, so that you know when to rest. And, and stopping, stopping temporarily doesn't mean that you're halting your progress. In fact, you're taking one step back to take five steps forward. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge our sponsors of this show, Ketone IQ, the best exogenous ketone you can take to elevate your blood ketone levels. I personally take it every day before a podcast to wire my brain up, before and after my workout to really feel my body. So give yourself a chance, take a shot, and you will feel the difference within minutes. So head over to hvmn.com and use the code HVMNPOD20, that is HVMNPOD20, for 20% off your purchase and enjoy your Ketone IQ and give your brain the perfect fuel. 
I love that because I think, you know, like I am much more productive when I'm not pushing, 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 even in business, right? I get, I, I should be doing this and I, I look at other businesses. I look at what you guys are doing and I'm like, why am I not doing it? How am I not going to, you know, I've got to, I've got to do this, this and this. And there's, you, you, there's only 24 hours in a day and you've got other priorities that you have to attend to and yet you don't have the success that you want to have and that's you know because you set the bar so high so you're just constantly chasing and it really takes a lot of discipline for someone like me and I, I guess someone like you to go no actually it's okay to take a day off and not panic that everything is falling apart and I think we've been trained into that, got to go, got to go, got to go. The competition isn't resting, so you've got to go, right? Exactly. And you're in a race, basically. You're in a race with, um, you know, against the, you know, whatever it is, the business race, the, the sporting race, the race against time. The, you know, we, we are constantly in a race and we've just got to get to those rest points, those control points on that race and actually recover and actually take time out and, and fill that cup again. And what you find is that when you do that, you're actually much more, I, I know this intellectually, like when I, I, I pull together much better work intellectually when, I'm, when I've had a rest and actually taken time out than when I'm trying to force it. And that creativity never comes in that forced status you know, so it's really important to actually step back. And I think it also in the entrepreneurial and business world, if you don't step back and get that helicopter view, you're in the, 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 the go, go, go of the daily grind of your business. You can lose perspective from a strategic point of view, which I definitely am guilty of, you know, like I'm just in the weeds going, going hard and not taking that helicopter view. So I'm trying to you know, do that now is to try to get good input from good mentors on that, that sort of side and not just, I've got to get another social media post out today, you know, yeah. <laughs> or whatever yeah. the case is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really tough thing because you want to achieve. And, and I think the older I get, the, the more urgency I feel because you, you, you feel like you, you have a job to do on this earth. I have a purpose there. I have a skill set. I have huge amount of knowledge that I've now built up over you know decades that I've got to get this impact out further and, and, and wider before the end. You know, and, and so there's this urgency that comes with aging as well. Well, <laughs> whenever you feel like that, I, I, I do get what you mean. But also remind yourself as you feel that urgency... Also remind yourself that nothing is permanent in this world. Even within our bodies, everything is always changing at all times. And we only have one life, right? Yeah, while it's great if we get an impact out. But for me, like what I do at HVMN, if I can impact one person, that's better than none. Of course, it's great if I can impact 100 people, 1,000 people, millions of people. I can do what I, I can, you know, in order to do that. But at the, the, at the end of the day, you know, we, we need to last long enough to, yeah. to have that impact. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, there is the, the sense of urgency, but also yes, in terms of sustainability, because otherwise, if I'm broken, then... Then you're no good to anybody. Exactly. And, and, and this is the thing, and that, that's a good segue into the whole health, you know. So, so you know what you and I both do now is try to help people optimize their health, help yep. them understand the science, help them, uh, you know, really focus in on the area that they need to be working on and with, with it, whether that's with, you know, ketones, which, you know, I love and I've got my bottle right here, <laughs> had my shot this morning. Um, it, or it's, you know, optimizing a program for somebody and doing, you know, genetic testing or thyroid or hormones or, you know, organic acids or whatever the, the case may be for a person who's dealing with whatever health issue. It, it, it's trying to optimize. And I, I'm so excited for the technology and the, and the science that's coming through now because we can achieve so much more and we are going to live longer if we don't burn out, so that's the risk factor probably for, for, for us, you know, is the burning out um, and keeping our HPA axis on point. <laughs> so, so what um, DNA tests do you leverage for your training program? Yeah, so I use two different companies at the moment and about to add a third hopefully soon. Um, one's uh, from Dr. Mansour Muhammad, who's a great mentor and uh, teacher 
uh, one of the world's greatest geneticists, and um, he has a company called the DNA Company. Uh, founded that, and, and this is a, a program that I that I use, uh, with which has got you know thirty eight different reports that gives us information on things like immunity and hormonal health and cardiovascular health and personality and. Uh, just so many areas, food, exercise, all of that sort of stuff. And so if I'm working with someone with specific issues, I often use that. Um, and then I have another program called PH360 that is looking at epigenetics as well as the genetics. And this uses doesn't use actually a saliva test. This is using uh, body body uh, measurements, body ratio parts and things like this, as well as a big, you know, 10,000 sort of questionnaire of, of collecting sort of 10,000 data points and this we get immediately which is great so I, I don't have to send anything off and wait two months and so on uh, which can be very beneficial if I've got someone who's got an urgent need now and that just sort of really helps me build a framework and I've found this to be so powerful in my life when I did my own genetics and I, I realized that the ultra marathoning that I was doing was actually not conducive to my genetics. I'm made for short, sharp, high intensity workouts of say three quarters of an hour in length is ideal for me combined with a lot of Pilates. Now, why is that? Is because I have, or Pilates, yoga, Tai Chi, that type of thing that's going to calm the nervous system. I have a lot of adrenaline, surprise, um, <laughs> and I don't have enough dopamine, so I'm always chasing dopamine. So I have a lot of stress hormones, so I need to do things that are going to calm the system down. And then by doing ultra marathons, I, I have a very oxidative, a high oxidative stress load in my body. So I need a lot of antioxidant support, more than the average person, shall we say. And then by doing extreme long distance, of course, the inflammation, the oxidative stress that you're causing, the free radical damage, all of that sort of stuff, uh, ended, ended up with massive amounts of inflammation, problems with weight, believe it or not. The, the more I ran, the fatter I got. Um, and I wasn't ever, why, you know. Why is that? I'll give you an example. I ran through New Zealand and I did 2,250 kilometers in 42 days. It's like 52 marathons in 42 days. And I put on weight. And I was burning in excess of 10,000 calories. So calories in, calories out is, is, is not the equation, right? That is not the whole equation. If that was the case, I would have been a, you know, a stick figure. Um, what was happening is that my body was in a uh, fight or flight state, complete fight or flight state for that whole period of time. And I was, uh, every mouthful that I took in, basically my body was going, we're going to have to hold on to that. We're going to store it as fat and we're going to slow metabolism. We're going to do all of this other stuff. We're, we're fighting with inflammation. And so the aftermath was of that was that I was never the same again, actually. Like I never regained my strength to 100% after that race. And I was, how old was I? 43 when I did that, I think. Um, and I had yeah inflammation, hormonal issues. Uh, I I'd, I'd not been able to have children in my life. Um, you know, not been uh, infertility was another um, repercussion that I think was partly caused, not completely, but partly caused by by the ultra marathons, and and an, a, a sped up oxidative stress, so like massive amounts of oxidative stress, which of course is aging. So. All of these aspects you have to consider. So when I did my genetics and I found like I should be doing shorter, sharper, I should be doing a lot more weight training in the gym. So now, you know, like weight training is for me really important. So I go to the gym now and I do a lot of CrossFit style workouts. Um, but I don't do heavy weights because my genetics says that I should not put super heavy weights through my joints. I'm quite uh, now quite lean and quite... Um, I have good musculature, so I can do medium-sized weights, but I shouldn't be over-exercising, so that will cause too much oxidative stress. So for me, it's about short, sharp, go, 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 and then recover. Yoga, breath work, meditation, all that other stuff that I, that I bring into the mix. And that's been amazing for me to experience that change. I lost all the, the excess weight that I had, which was just puffiness and water and... Um, you know, and it was only like five, four or five kilos, but that's massive difference. And so for someone who'd, who'd run and started running because they wanted to lose weight, that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't, and I'm quite passionate now about women, especially in their forties, you need to go to the gym and do some weight training or at least body weight training, uh, resistance work is going to be far more effective than just doing miles of cardio, which is what 
we're told, right? Do a lot of cardio to lose weight. That it doesn't work. That recipe. Yeah, um, and we talked about uh, about it on this show quite a bit on resistance training and and increasing muscle mass actually yeah. helping increase the basal metabolic rate um, totally. and, and help burning fat. You know, I'm really interested in this genetic test myself, actually. I'll take uh, you through it. I'll take yeah, you through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, no. If, uh, after this, you know, I'm going to follow up and, and ask more information uh, if it's available in the US even. Um, yep. And and just find out because um, right before we started this recording, um, Lisa and I we were just talking about about weight and and that she thought I'm, you know, I, I would yep. benefit less from a long fast because I look leaner. And I told her I've been overweight all my life since you know <laughs> I was a kid until I was in my undergraduate years where I started exercising and and lost about what, 40, 45 pounds, about twenty kilos. Wow. Um, and then I started weight training and all of that, and then everything else, um, you know, is history. But I'm definitely interested to to find out, like you said, you know, am I more suited for um, high volume training or high strength training, high resistance training, or am I more suited for? I do I need to do more cardio? Yeah. Because, <coughs> excuse me, I feel that um, I can build strength very easily, but I'm. Yep. Um, if I don't include cardio, I I tend to put on fat. Yep. <coughs> so even a little bit of like steady state cardio is better than none for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you may lie on the other sort of side of the spectrum where you need a, a lot more cardio and a lot more, um, and you can probably deal with heavier weights. And, and we'll see if we did that if we did the test. I'd love to take you through it. That would be that would be a privilege and an honor to be able to do that with you. Just to and and, and it really can help. Like. Give you another example. I used to make my husband uh, get up, uh, who's a different genetic makeup. I used to make him get up at 5 a.m. and do a, a CrossFit workout with me, right? <laughs> um, absolute disaster for his genetics. Perfect for mine. Uh, I can do that. I can do a high stress thing in the morning, get my cortisol up, and I'm rearing to go for the day. For him, that is the time of the day when his testosterone is replacing. So he, in hormone regulation, so he should not, he should be sleeping. That's Excellent. when he should be asleep, right? And he should have a very slow, calm start to the day. So by putting him into a high-stress situation, a CrossFit class, um, I was sending his cortisol through the roof, which caused weight gain around the middle. And then, you know, so, so for, for his discipline and diligence of getting up early and doing CrossFit, he got fatter and unhealthier and it lowered his testosterone which is never good for a wife to do that to the husband you know? yeah and, and that that's a problem uh, with a lot of people um trying to get fit right and i think we all have experienced that when we we do the 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 work and we put the commitment in and when we put the dedication in but because uh, yeah and having the opposite effect it's it's so demotivating um yep. and that's why i think the more we know about technology, the more uh, the technology is available, um, then we know our genetic makeup and how we talk about personalized medicine. I think, you know, personalized training based on your genetic makeup um, is going to be a thing. Absolutely, it is already. And it's just so powerful. I mean, another example with my mum, you know, story we can get into a little bit, but she was uh, 108 kilos and she's five foot nothing. Uh, she was very overweight and she had an aneurysm eight years ago. And, you know, back then I didn't know anything. Mums were for looking after you, weren't they? You know, <laughs> it was sort of, you know, she was this wonderful mum who was always looking after everybody and not looking after herself, had this aneurysm. But since then we've, uh, you know, and I've written a book about her journey back and we can talk briefly about that, but she's lost 58 kilos and only because I cracked the code on her genetics, I now know what time of the day she should be eating, what type of food she should be eating, what type of exercise she should be doing, what time of the day she should be doing it, when she should be asleep, you know, how to optimize her hormones, even at 81. Um, you know, like all of these aspects, that's 58 kilos. That's an entire person gone. Yeah. And she was on diets forever and could never shift it because she was doing the wrong combination of things. And yeah, she has to have a, a pretty strict life and, you know, ketones are absolutely magic for her brain rehabilitation as well. I was sharing with you last week, anecdotally, we've had her on the ketone, uh, ketone IQ now for, I think, six weeks, five or six weeks. Um, and just absolutely fabulous, the, the changes that I see in her 
cognitive ability, her expressiveness, her her ability. She had very much that flat effect. Um, her ability to go all day without going to have an afternoon nap now, uh, which is makes life harder for me because I'm like trying to do my work and I'm caregiver to my mum. So I, you know, like I'll put you to bed now so I can get my work done this afternoon. Now I can't thanks to ketones. Um, <laughs> She's and, like, and, yeah, and, and a disclaimer, yeah. and a disclaimer, we did not pay Lisa to say all of this, <laughs> you know, not yet at least. Um, so no. it's, it's completely independent. Lisa actually paid us to buy the ketones. Absolutely. And, 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 yeah, and, I, and I sell them down here now and I'm super proud that we're selling them down here now. And I have, I work with a lot of people with brain injuries and strokes and dementia and Alzheimer's and athletes as well. Uh, so for me, like ketones are the, the, the most exciting thing that I have in my toolkit. So, uh, it, 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 uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had salts before and I've had esters and the esters are just that next level. I think the salts are great, but I think the esters just bring up that next level with, um, like I couldn't get my mum into a really high therapeutic level with the salts, but I can with the esters. Um, and she's on a keto diet as well, so it does rely on on the lifestyle side of things as well. So Don't you've tried both ketonaster and the keto IQ. Yep, yep, okay. uh, yeah, uh, and, and the keto salts and the keto right, IQ. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, and, and the, the 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 salts are great. I think there's an application for those as well. But I think that the esters is really that next level up. And, Especially and to, when it comes to brains. Right. And, and to clarify for listeners as well. So ketonester was the first generation of HVMN drink that oh, we, yeah. we, we released. Sorry. So that's BHB uh, ester bond with BDO, which is butane diol. Whereas ketone, uh, ketone IQ is a chirally pure R13-butane diol. So R13 it, it tastes, it tastes a little bit different. And it also is much cheaper than ketonesters as well. Yeah, so sorry. Yeah, for, thanks for that clarification. Oh, no, <laughs> you're, I mean, I know, I, I know this is a very common question as well. I, I, I think I can't repeat enough because um, it's being asked so often, uh, even when we talk about it on, on our social media, we talk about it on website, um, there, there is always going to be people Confusion. asking. It's, it's like people asking, what's the difference between whey protein, casein? What's the difference between different forms of creatine, you know, monohydrate and all of that? So it's the same thing and I don't mind, you know, repeating it. I think the more people understand what the different exogenous ketones are in the market, the better it is for them to really ha make an informed decision to choose yeah. what's better for their use case. Um, yeah, well, I was talking about keto and IQ, so that's what I was talking about. To be to be clear, and um, yeah, it's been it's been great, and uh, you know, we've got a lot more testing and things to do, and and working with my with my clients as well. Excited to see some of the the benefits coming through for them as well. Um, and, and I know that the research is ongoing, and we need a lot more research. But just from anecdotal stuff and N of one stuff, it, yeah. It, it's it's next level and, and I and I feel it on my own body as well you know like I'm 54 and I still want to perform at my absolute peak both cognitively and physically and anything that I can get to um, help me focus and f help me perform better um, is is very important to me and uh, ketones have, have been you know ketone IQ has been brilliant for that I'm so glad um, it managed to help you and your clients and your mom. Um, and yeah. and you, you spoke a little bit um, earlier, you know, about your mom's um, condition and, and your book, Relentless. Um, tell us yep. more about that, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. my mom there, everyone, oh, uh, for anyone watching on the video. Yeah, so so she yeah had, a, had an aneurysm eight years ago, was left with massive, massive brain damage, had a stroke as well, paralyzed in a wheelchair for a couple of years. And I, I should have shared that story uh, on the first episode, but for those who haven't heard that one, um, we were told that 74 years old, massive brain damage, she will never have any quality of life again, put her into an institution, and I absolutely refused. At that point, I sort of stopped doing the ultramarathoning, and I focused fully on her rehabilitation. And it took me two and a half years to get her from being like a baby who couldn't even put a piece of food in her mouth or chew or swallow or sit straight or anything uh, to driving the car and going to the gym five days a week and walking three or four k's a day. Um, so really, um, you know, like 
uh, a miraculous recovery, um, but it wasn't miraculous. It was a daily, daily absolute grind of an eight-hour program that I put her through every single day. And we were told constantly, she's got neural fatigue, you'll never push through, you'll never be able to do this, you'll never get her to do that. They were all wrong. What they didn't know was uh, the, 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 the mindset of an ultramarathon runner is you just grind it out day in, day out. You don't expect the results, you just do the work. And that mindset is what you need when you're rehabilitating from something so massive as this. You, you can't come in and go, I've done my workout, where's the results? If you're asking for the results every day, you're not going to see them. And we would have months with just a plateau where she's not going anywhere. And then we would have sudden big jumps in her performance, you know. And if you hadn't pushed through those months of nothing, and I had people constantly telling me, why are you pushing her so hard? Why? Because this is a difficult, you know, training that I would put her through and really taxing on me and the family and her uh, why, you, why don't you just let her be and give her an ice cream and stick her in the corner, you know? And I'm just like, that is not an option. Like, she was going to die um, if I didn't do something. So whatever, even if it was hard, even if it was painful, even if it was, was I didn't know the outcome at the beginning, uh, I just kept this vision in my mind of her walking and talking and being my normal mum again. And, and, you know, I got there. And despite all, not a single medical professional told me it was there was any remote possibility, except for the people that I got on my podcast. And I went for searching for <laughs> the most amazing scientists and doctors. Um, it's one of the selfish reasons I had my podcast, was to be able to get access to the most amazing people. And I would learn from these people and then I would just study, 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 study and stayed one step ahead of her in her recovery and studied everything from the epigenetics and genetics to functional neurology to, you, you name it, I studied it. Um, and stayed one step ahead of her. And then we got her back to full health and everything was fantastic. And then about 18 months ago, or just a little bit less than that, she, um, what I, I thought she was having another stroke, I rushed her into the hospital the hospital sent me home, said there's nothing wrong, but her face was dropped on the one side. She was slurring her speech. She was drooling. She was not coherent. And so I knew there was something wrong. I, I went back into the hospital again two days later with blood pressure right through the roof. And again, they sent me home. And uh, I, I started to push for an MRI. They did a C CT scan. They couldn't see anything. So I started to push for an MRI. And it took me three weeks of terrorizing the people and doctors, because you have to be persistent. If there's one thing, I don't know what it's like in America, but over here, you better fight for the resources if you need them. Um, took me three weeks to actually get an MRI, um, and we finally got the, the results of the MRI. She had, you know, brain tumors, uh, one massive brain tumor and some smaller brain tumors. And then they rushed her down to Wellington, our capital city, where a, a, a fabulous brain surgeon and his team took out one of the tumours. And then they did the pathology on that and it came back with an aggressive form of CNS lymphoma, which cancer. Um, and they, we were told over and over again, there is nothing we can do and she is going to you know, die very soon. It's very fast growing and it, there's not nothing we can do at 81. Um, if she was younger, we would have been able to do RTOP therapy, which is a form of chemo and, and bone marrow transplants and things, but not at her age and she wouldn't survive that. And then I, I dived into the literature again and I started to study the metabolic approach to cancer. And I did advanced genetic testing on her particular type of uh, tumour. Um, and, I, and I put together a protocol and a team of doctors around her. We had 15 t doctors on her team, from integrated oncologists through to experts on longevity, through to uh, nutritionists, through everything. We did a strict keto diet. We did hyperbaric oxygen therapy, a very powerful therapy that I'm so passionate about. We did the keto, we did um, natural health supplements, we had different off-label drug combinations. I put a type of chemo in called temozolomide because my advanced genetic testing had told me that that one specifically she'll respond to. Um, we did an immunotherapy. I threw the bus at it. Um, and, and the kitchen uh, sink. <laughs> and, the, and the kitchen sink to boot. And it took me 12 weeks to get rid of the tumours. 
so that the tumours were no longer visible under the MRI. Uh, uh, under the resolution of the MRI, we, we don't know, and there was no other way to test, but it, it, from that perspective, there's no more cancer, and we've been able to keep that now touch wood um, for a year and a half. Um, she's perfectly healthy and fine again, and I've seen her brain come back again. So I've seen the brain go from being like a, a baby with hardly any higher function to being back like an adult to then having concussion after concussion, as she did have falls throughout her rehabilitation uh, time. She's had a number of concussions, and then she's had the brain tumours, and she had brain surgery, and she's had cancer. <laughs> so you couldn't chuck much more at this brain, right? And I've seen her come back time and time again. She's now at a state where she is independent uh, to the point where she can she can dress herself, she can go for walks by herself. She's not allowed to drive a car. They've taken her license off her, unfortunately, and we, we want to still get that back. We're working on that. Uh, but she still has her life. She goes out with her girlfriends. She has fun. She's able to be there for her grandchildren. Um, and we still work on the, 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 the areas of, the, of deficit, you know, the things like the motivation and the creativity and the, you know, reading and all of that sort of jazz. But to see her brain go from that to that to that, you know, backwards and forwards, it makes me really excited for the Alzheimer's research, the dementia research, for the brain injury research. It's not necessarily a one-way street, and I know it's not a one-way street because I've lived it and I've seen it. And uh, if someone can do that, you know, from the age of 74 to 81, not a young person who's had brain injuries. Or we, we, the, the, the future is bright. If we start listening and looking and doing the, the, doing the hard yards to put in protocols that are really complicated, you know, like, I, you know, you've got red light therapy in the back, you've got hyperbaric over there, you've got transcranial, I've got photobiomodulation devices. Oh, you know, my house is a biohacker's paradise. Right? It sounds like uh, I got a, I've now been to New Zealand, so I think, I think my next uh, holiday destination. Oh, I'd love to have you come down. And while you're down here, I'll make you do a, 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 a speech at a conference. I'm trying to organise a, a big longevity anti-aging conference down here. So um, we'll have to talk. It would be a pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, that was an amazing story, Lisa. And, and I, I thought to myself when I saw your email for the first time and I got forwarded your email from our customer service team and you were like, oh, yeah, anecdotally, you know, my mom has gone through aneurysm, stroke, concussions, <laughs> brain tumors. I was like, what all of that <laughs> yeah. and 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 still like completely functional and also benefiting from ketone iq yeah that is a super powerful statement and a powerful situation and i'm so so happy that we are able to help even and and you know yep and, and, it's, and it's the next step, you know. Like yeah, it's and, and, and also, you know, uh, kudos to you too. You know, you were there for your mom and and it's a life worth fighting for, right? Yeah. And and you, you did give up and even with the people telling you to give up, uh, you didn't. I mean, I guess all that marathon running and, and training yeah. really put you in this position. And sometimes it makes me think, you know, we experience that we've gone through and things that we've gone through in life it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do to prepare us for what we are going to face. Amen. That is the thing. That is the point. I know now when I look back and at some of the, the really harsh experiences that I, that I went through in different races and expeditions and, you know, failures and, and all sorts of things. And you, then you come up to a situation like this and you're like, thank God I went through that because if I hadn't, I wouldn't have been know, knowing how to deal with the situation. And don't get me wrong, there's not so many moments where you're just on the ground broken and exhausted and not knowing your way forward. And it's all very well for me to sit here now and go, there's my story, that's what I went through. But at the time, I didn't know that it was going to have a positive outcome. And this is the power of going all in anyway with your mindset and holding a vision. So when people tell you that you've got some terminal illness, you've got some permanent disability, you're going to have this condition for the rest of your life, question that. Question that and put a vision of you being healthy or your loved one being healthy in your brain. That is half of the battle. That if you can visualize yourself or your loved one healthy, then you're already halfway there. Like you've got hard work, you've got miles of hard work ahead of you, but if you can't visualize yourself getting better, you will not get better. 
it's that important to have that mindset, and that's what I am grateful for for the the, the ultra marathon experiences. Because if you imagine, like you know, when you're running in the Himalayas, two hundred and twenty k somewhere, or Death Valley, and people are going, "That's impossible! You can't run at that altitude. You can, it's impossible. You can't run in that type of heat. It's impossible. You can't carry that weight." Uh, and you do it, and then you're like, "Well, hang on a minute. I'm going to question everything now." Because is that just their person's experience? And this is very much I'm not I'm not bagging out on the medical professionals. Like we we need them for God's sake. They're amazing what they do and their surgeries and their things and the drugs and the whatever. Um, but don't put your limited thinking onto the person that you are dealing with. Give them the chance that you might not know everything. You know, yeah. don't take away all hope. I had a a, um, a very um, lively debate with the head of our medical council here who was at a conference that I was emceeing and he was speaking and he um afterwards we sort of went head to head a bit because this is my story and I was telling him things and he was going all of this stuff here at this wellness conference is all woo woo bullshit including genetic testing and I'm going and therein lies the problem because you haven't actually gone and looked at the research lately to say such a comment if you had you wouldn't be saying that and then he said, well, you know, I showed him my book and we were talking about mum's story. And he said, well, that's, that's amazing. But uh, aren't you giving people false hope when you put out a story like that? Because others aren't going to get it. And I said, and they told me I would never get it either. Exactly. And they, you are taking away all of their hope. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I'm not saying everybody's going to get there. And I've failed. You know, I lost my dad two and a half years ago in a situation that was terrible. And we failed, you know, like we lost him. I know what it is to lose. I know what it is to win. But you have to go all in. If you're going to have a chance at coming back from some of these major illnesses and you have to and build a team around you, like now working with cancer people and, and people with major brain injuries and motor neurons disease, I put a team around them. Whether <clears throat> if, if they have the resources, then it's a team of doctors. If, it's, if, if they don't have the resources, then it's a team of, of, of YouTube and podcasts and the best professors and the, the best information that we can get for that person. Right, and then uh, putting a team around you means you don't just get one biased opinion. You you get a, a really balanced from the latest research, and you've got to understand that your expertise as a PhD in the area that you've done is extremely in depth. And then another person over here who's got a PhD in something else, or just experience in something else, is got another really deep dive of experience that can share. And that isn't going to be in your local clinic, I can tell you that much, because there's a lag of 20 to 30 years behind what is seen in your local clinic, especially when you live in the ends of the earth, uh, versus what's actually out there in the world. And yeah, so that was a very interesting, lively debate with the head of the medical council. I don't think I changed his mind, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> they are going to be people like that. I think especially the, unfortunately, you know, the, the older generation of scientists and, and doctors, they are very dogmatic when it comes to it. Yep. And I think a lot of it also comes to comes down to the ego, right? The self, the pride. And yep. I... I you know, many times I have admitted that, oh, I was wrong or yep. new research comes back and I say, oh, okay, what I've claimed before may not be completely accurate. And people might think, oh, I've got a master's from Columbia University. I've got a PhD from Oxford. It doesn't matter. I'm a human and I can be wrong. And I yep. think the courage to admit that you're wrong, it's way, way more, like much more than the courage you need to be right. And, it's integrity. And that it's, is, is... it's integrity, but it's also an opportunity for growth. Like yeah. when I admit that I'm wrong, that's when I go back in and start learning again. And that yeah. whole process of learning never stops until you die. And, yeah. and I think that's what's wonderful about, about the human brain. It's just, it keeps developing. Like, yeah, there's so much knowledge and information out there that, that, that's just waiting for you to learn and waiting for you to apply to your own life in order to optimize your, you know, your, your, your health Absolutely. and fitness. And I think, you know, like with, with um, a lot of professionals who have spent decades in a certain dogma and a certain learning line, 
um, it's very hard to, to think that, oh, shit, maybe we got something wrong, and then I have to give up all that to, to go. And, I, and I've had the privilege of, of, of meeting many doctors who have gone through that evolution, usually when a loved one gets sick themselves, and then they realise, hang on a minute, uh, I'm going to have to start thinking outside the square because we've run out of options here. And that's very often the catalyst for them, people getting into the functional medicine space or the integrated medical space and, and actually opening their, their eyes. And I've got a, a fantastic teacher and um, orthopedic surgeon, longevity specialist, um, who's gone through that whole process of doing the, you know, traditional orthopedic surgery and, you know, and then realizing, hang on a minute, this is, this stuff's not working. And then really diving into the regenerative stuff. And you really and have just got a whole team. The most amazing teacher, you know, like, yeah. and I've seen both sides of that equation and uh, we just need more people to take the red pill, so to speak, <laughs> wake up that there's a little bit more than your one university, your one school of thought, your one dogma um, and, and start realizing that there's a, a lot more going on, but um, yeah, we've gone into the gone into the weeds here a little. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean that that's a great way to to sort of close this this conversation as well. I think we've learned so much from your stories. Thank you so much for sharing them. Um, Thanks, you know, we went from mental strength to physical strength to endurance to health and and you know brain health specifically and how. You know, the wonderful story of you and your mom um, fighting it it's through, battling, battling it and, and triumphing. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know. It's a wonder she hasn't done a cameo in the background like she did last week on my I know. I, I was wishing that. that she would so that she would come out and say hello. <laughs> like for people who are watching, then we can actually say, hey, hello, mom, you know, <laughs> mother. Well, she, yeah, last week she, she went out the front door. <laughs> but she, uh, I've made sure she goes out the back door. She's gone over to my brother's for coffee, so we won't have a cameo today. But um, she she is doing very, very well. And, you know, one day we'll have to um, connect you to, to You can actually see uh, how she's doing. And I actually take her to some of my conferences where I'm speaking at medical conferences and things. And like, this is the living proof. There you go, you know, and then people are really moved when they actually see, uh, and especially because I've got a little video clip that shows her at her worst and and then her progression, um, and that 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 does boggle the mind a little bit. So the the book's really worth a read, not just from a brain recovery and therapies perspective, but from a mindset perspective and a family love perspective. Um, you know, love is a very very powerful you know, um, motivating force and you can, you can move mountains when, when, when love is the motivation um, and when you have hope and when you have a vision. So I think it's a good place to finish it. Keep that vision alive of you or your loved one being in full health if you're dealing with anything uh, difficult, you know. Very well said. Uh, and if our listeners would like to find you on, you know, uh, social media and all that, where can they find you? Uh, so I have a, my website is probably the best place to go, which is just lisatamati.com and Tamati is T-A-M-A-T-I, lisatamati.com. And I'm at Lisa Tamati on most of my social media, except Twitter. I'm Lisa Y Tamati, which is my middle name, Y, Yvonne. Um, so yeah, that'd be great. I, I have a, a, a YouTube channel with over 600 videos. I've got like um, um, half a dozen documentaries for my races on there too, which is really cool. And I have a podcast called Pushing the Limits, which Lap was on last week. So make sure you go and check that out. Um, yeah, that, that's where everyone can find me. I'm pretty easy to, to discover. <laughs> great. Thank you so much for your time, Lisa. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Lap. I really appreciate you.